Well, we are glad that you are here this morning, and if you are here for the first time, we are in the middle of a six-week Bible series called Superheroes of the Bible. By way of review, the first, the first week, we covered a gentleman named um, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Does anybody remember what the big characteristic was we learned about Jonathan? Trust. Yes. He trusted God at an incredibly important moment for him and the people of Israel. And then last week was Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Does anybody remember what his characteristic was? Confidence. Yeah, confidence. That was like, that's what I just heard. It was confidence. He had confidence in the Lord and, uh, and, and as he defeated the prophets of Baal. And then I let you know that last week we were going to be covering Esther this week. And gosh, it is such a big story. It is. So I realized in your notes, <laughs> the key reference is Esther chapters one through 10, because that's the whole story. So what we're going to attempt to do this morning is tell this incredible story that has about five different scenes in it. You know, the opening scene is this incredible banquet, and then, you know, Vashti getting vanquished or banished, and then you have Esther being chosen, and then you have Haman scheming, and then you have Esther risking her life to save the people, and then you have the aftermath of all of that. And so we have this incredible story that's going to unfold from the beginning of Esther all the way to Esther chapter 10. And and I understand that it's a lot to cover, but I didn't know where we could kind of come in and go out again or where we could just highlight. So we're going to try and give an overview of the entire exciting story of Esther. I gave you in your notes some interesting facts about the book of Esther that I just think was interesting, and that's why they're there. But aside from that, what I'd like to do is tell the story, and then I'd like to build on a few thoughts towards the end before we shut things down. And and if you've done any kind of public speaking, you understand that one of the most difficult things to do when you have so much material is to determine what not to say. It's about what to leave out. And so I know that there is a lot more to this story. There's a lot of threads that you could just continue. We could study Esther all summer long. Really, we could. And there's so many threads. There's so many rabbit trails. There's so many important truths and aha moments. And, well, look at there. I mean, there's all kinds of those throughout the book of Esther. And we just don't have enough time to cover all the, well, look at theirs, in one, in one lesson. So we're going to have to kind of skip over those and just mention them and then move on, but I want you to take your time and develop this in your own study and make this a big part of what you've either done last week or what you will do this coming week as you review it. So in Esther, you are introduced to this king whose name is Ahasuerus, but the Persian Empire was at the time the ruling empire of the entire world. They had conquered the known world at this time. This is a historic fact. The king of this vast empire was a man named King Ahasuerus. And just a little fun fact, he is commonly known in history as Xerxes. And that's kind of how we, you might have learned, him, uh, learned of him in history. But he was an incredibly powerful king. He was literally the ruler 
of the whole world. And of course, what they would do is when they conquered a land, they would leave some of the people there, but then they would capture and bring many of the people to where they were, or they would relocate them. And they would they would take some of the people from over here and move them into this country and from that country over to this country so that they would lose ownership of their own land and just become Persians. That's kind of what they became. And that was the idea. And you had a group of people in Persia in the kingdom that were still very much Jewish. So he decides to celebrate his vast empire and the greatness of his empire, and he holds a week-long feast, a week-long party. Now, this is if you were invited to this, you pretty much shut everything down for seven days. It was going to be all you could eat. It was going to be the finest of everything, and it was going to be an incredibly uh, joyous party with lots of entertainment, incredible food, and all the important people were going to be there. Towards the end of the banquet, he decides, the, queen, uh, the king decides, he wants to show off his incredibly beautiful queen, Vashti. And so he sends one of his servants to go get his wife, Vashti, to come and show her off. There's not a lot of detail given, but the assumption is that he was probably going to dance her around and show everybody the incredible beauty of his wife. She knew what the situation was down there, that they probably were not all in their right mind. And she decided that she did not want to go be paraded in front of all of these people. So Queen Vashti refused the king's order. Now, you don't understand, perhaps, if you're not familiar with the customs and culture of that day, but this was basically a death sentence. I mean, if you refused to do what the king said, it was over for you. But this was the king's wife, and so it was a an odd predicament, but nobody disobeyed the king's order. So now the king has a dilemma, right? So the king met with his counselors, and they decided that if we don't do something significant about this disobedience, it's going to tell all the women in our kingdom that it's okay to disobey your husband and do whatever you want. And so here's what he did. He banished Queen Vashti from the kingdom. I think his heart ached a little bit. I mean, he obviously liked her a lot. And after his anger subsided and he seemed to be okay with the pronouncement of judgment against her, he began to miss his queen. And he began to perhaps be lonely. And so his counselors came up with a plan, and they said, here's what we'll do. We will hold basically a beauty contest, and we'll go throughout the empire, and we will select the most beautiful women, and we'll bring them together. We'll put them through a 12-month beauty regimen where they will become as beautiful as they possibly can, and then we'll present them individually to the king, and the king can decide which one of those incredibly beautiful women he would want to have for his wife. And of course, the king loved the plan. So throughout the kingdom, young ladies were taken to compete to be queen of Persia. One of these young ladies was a woman by the name of Esther. And Esther was a Jew. She had not 
a drop of Persian blood in her. She was a Jew living in Persia. She was being raised by her uncle Mordecai. And she is selected to be the queen. This is just such an incredible story. The Bible doesn't say how many women were chosen. She goes through the process, but I do find it very interesting that that as I was reading and studying some of this, she was not selected simply because she was beautiful or because she was significantly more beautiful than everybody else physically. The Bible says that the person who was in charge of the contest, that Esther found favor in his sight. That has a different connotation to just that he thought she was beautiful. Now, you understand, these are the most beautiful women in the kingdom. So all of them were good-looking. All of them were drop-dead gorgeous. But there was something about her spirit, about her demeanor, about her attitude, to where she found favor in his sight. And then interestingly, the Bible even says this, when the king met her, that she found grace and favor in his sight. So there was something about the spirit of who she was. And I actually read a blog by a a Jewish woman who was talking about Esther, and she went further into some of the writings um, of, of the ancient people that are not in the Word of God. And there was something about Um, her spirit, that is what they celebrate. And what she said was, it is the inner beauty that was inside of her that made her so much more beautiful than everybody else. And isn't that true? That we focus on how we look on the outside, but there is something beautiful about somebody that's wholesome and good and loving and caring on the inside. It just makes you more pretty. It just makes you more beautiful. So he chose Esther to be the new queen, but of course she was a Jew, which was a problem because there was a certain group of people that didn't like the Jews being in their kingdom. They didn't assimilate well. The king had an advisor named Haman, and Haman had been promoted to where he became the chief confidant or the chief chief friend of King Ahasuerus. And he hated the Jews. Now, I won't go into much detail, but there were some incidences between him and Mordecai, Esther's uncle, that he just got angry about. He didn't know the connection was there. And he convinced the king one day that we need to get rid of these Jews. We need to exterminate them because they're a danger to the kingdom. And because the king trusted him, he actually okayed a particular day of the year when the Persians could take up arms and kill off all or as many Jews as they possibly could because they weren't assimilating into the kingdom very well. And it became a law. Now, please understand that when you made a law, it was called the laws of the Medes and the Persians, you could not go back on that law. You couldn't alter it. You couldn't do anything to change it. Once the law of the Medes and Persians was, was settled, it was forever law. You could not change it. And so he makes this incredible law to kill off all of the Jews on a particular day in the near future. Esther's uncle, Mordecai, hears of the plan, and he approaches Queen Esther, 
and says, you've got to do something about this. So they, he began to, to, to pray to God and, and mourn about this death of all of the Jews that was about to happen. And he realizes that, that Esther is in a unique position to affect change and make something happen that could possibly save their people. So Mordecai pleaded with Esther to talk to the king. Now, you have to understand that, again, the customs of the day, if, if, the, if you approach the king without being asked, that was a death sentence. You just didn't go into his presence without him summoning you first. And then to make an outrageous request like, don't kill all of the Jews, after it had already been come, become a law, was pretty outrageous. But if Esther talked to the king without being asked, she could possibly be killed. And so Esther asked Mordecai to ask all the Jews in the kingdom to fast and pray for three days. And she did the same. And at the end of that three days, she said, I will go into the king. And then she said this, and if I perish, I perish. She knew that she was literally taking her life into her hands. On many levels, she could be killed when she goes see the king. When the king finds out she's a Jew, she's part of the group that everybody wants to kill. So she approaches the king, and she kind of steps into his courtroom, and he sees her, and he bows his scepter to her. He points his scepter at her, and that meant that she was welcome to come and approach the king. So she approaches the king, and he says, what can I do for you, Esther? He said, I love you so much. He said, anything you say, I'll do it. I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. I've never understood why kings say that. It's like a quarter would have been enough. I mean, why, why give her half, right? I mean, just I'll give you a stipend for life. No, he says, I'll give you half of my kingdom. And she is obviously incredibly nervous, and she says, what I'd like to do is, is I'd like to have you over to my house for a meal with, with Haman. And he just, okay, all right, we'll come over to your house and we'll eat with you. And I thank you so much, and she goes away. So she invites him over for a meal, and I think she was buying herself some time. She was looking for an opportunity just to talk to the king. It was important to have Haman there since he was the one who had convinced the king to kill the Jews. So two different times she had a meal for them. The first time, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but she didn't really even ever approach the subject. And she simply said, okay, here's what I want. I'd like you to come over for another meal. And so they set up to come over for another meal, and okay, I mean, Haman's got to be feeling really good about himself right now, right? He's, I'm, I'm not only best friends with the king, but now the queen really likes me. I'm, you can tell that I'm really in the inner, inner circle here. And so he goes to the second meal with the king and the queen, and it is during this second meal that she tells the king, of this horrible law that was passed where all the Jews are going to be killed. And the king's probably like, yeah, okay, I remember that. Yeah, I get it. And then she says, but I'm a Jew. And this terrible law that has been passed means that I'm going to be put to death. And now you have to understand how much the king loved Queen Esther. And when he finds out what Haman has done, he in his mind sees Haman as wanting to kill his wife. 
and he absolutely goes berserk. And he storms out. And this is a little bit of, well, so he storms out and he leaves. And then Haman realized what's going to happen. He goes over to where, uh, to where Queen Esther was sitting. And he falls on his knees, and they had like pillows that they were sitting on. And he's leaned over next to her, kind of on her, trying to, trying to get her to change the king's mind because he knows he's about to be killed. And the king walks back in and sees him making a move, or what he saw was making a move on his wife. And now he gets even more angry, and he has him arrested. Long story short, end of all the rabbit trails, the king orders Haman to be executed. Now, these gallows that he built were the same gallows that he was going to hang Mordecai on, on the day that all the Jews were supposed to be killed. And Haman ends up being killed on the same gallows that he erected. So Haman's gone, but we still have a problem because the laws of the Medes and Persians say you can't change the law which means there was still going to be a day when all the Jews were going to be attacked. And so the queen suggests to the king that he passes another law. And this second law simply states that the Jews can defend themselves on that day. And the king passes the law that all the Jews on that day can take up arms and defend themselves against any attackers. And then he even has some of his army scripted to help the Jews defend themselves. And not on that day, when that day came, not a single Jew was killed. That day is now celebrated as the day of Purim. Every year they celebrate the bravery of Esther and the salvation of the Jewish people. So here is the super characteristic that I find in Esther, and that is purpose. Purpose. We're going to build on this just a little bit here. But knowing that there is a divine reason, I'm here. Now, here's where we kind of turn the corner and have some application. You may not be involved in a beauty contest, although I'm sure you'd win. You may not be in a position to save an entire group of people, and an entire nation. But just as God has orchestrated everything, in the life of Esther, God has orchestrated everything in your life. And there is a divine reason you are here. So allow me to build on this thought. Esther's life <laughs> was not at all what she expected. You think about it, she was in a foreign land without her parents being raised by her uncle. That's all the details were given. That's not your typical upbringing. She was taken then from the only family she did know to marry the very man responsible for the capture of her people. <laughs> Esther's life was not at all what she expected. But Esther's life was not at all a surprise to God. I'd encourage you, we don't have time this morning. I would encourage you to look up the word providence. 
look up the definition, maybe do a quick study on it, the word providence, about how God is working all the time in the background. Because God is always at work behind the scenes. God is at work even when you can't see it. Esther was placed in this royal position, not by chance, but for a purpose. Now, we might assume that she was angry. We might assume that that maybe the whole time she's plotting to kill this king. We don't see that. In Scripture, we see that she had this incredible spirit about her, that she found favor and then grace and favor in the sight of the king. Can I just say this? How we respond to circumstances says more about our relationship with God than what you say about your relationship with God. And I don't know, so, so I know that your life is not what you planned when you were in high school. Isn't that unfair anyway? Like you're 18 years old, your brain is not fully developed yet, and you have to decide what you're going to do with life, who you're going to marry, where you're going to go to college. You have all of these decisions to make at that young age. It's just not fair because you're so ill-equipped at that age to make those decisions. So I don't know how you viewed your life and what it looks like now compared to what it looked like before, but maybe your life has not turned out as expected. But can I just say this, that your life is not a surprise to God. And Whatever your life looks like now, <laughs> the way that you accept it and the way that you use it and your spirit in it is so important right now. And God was able to bless the life of Esther and use her to save his people, not because she was in the mully grubs and not because she was a sourpuss and not because she was angry at the king. She found grace and favor in his eyes because there was a spirit about her that allowed God to use her where she was. Some of you are like the little girl who was told to sit down and she finally said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's how we live our life. It's like, it's like I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I'm really not happy to be here, and I'm going to let everybody know it. That's not something God's going to be able to work in. That's not a situation. God has put you there. But this is the truth. Esther's life was an opportunity to fulfill a greater purpose. In Esther chapter 4, verse 14, Mordecai and Esther are having this incredible conversation. And he says this, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I'm not sure why God has you where you are, And I'm not sure exactly why the circumstances have taken place that brought you to where you are, but God knows. And that circumstance is actually an opportunity to fulfill a greater purpose. I think we spend too much of our life trying to figure out where God wants us to be or wishing we were somebody else instead of just allowing God to do something with our life where we are while we are waiting for more to come. Instead of wishing things were different or better, (laughs) do something that resembles God where you are. 
So just work with me through some logic here. If nothing is a surprise to God, you agree with that statement? If nothing is a surprise, so what's in your life? What has happened? What situation are you in? If nothing is a surprise to God, and if my steps are ordered by the Lord, and if there are no uh uh-ohs with God, so that's a big presupposition. So if we agree on that, that there's no surprises, that my steps are ordered, and that there are no uh-ohs with God, then what I need to be asking is, why does God have me where I am right now? Folks, this is, this is really huge. I don't know why all the stuff happens in your life, and I don't, know, I don't know why you're going through what nobody else has to go through, and I don't know why God thinks you're strong enough to handle it, and I don't know. I really wish I had those answers for you, and I re- my heart aches for some of you, and I know that you're going through, and I, I don't know why your life turned out this way, but if, there are, but, if, but if it wasn't a surprise to God, and God didn't say, whoops, and there's no uh-ohs, then why does God have me here? Because there's a reason why God has you here. You need to ask yourself, what is God doing in my life right now? What am I resisting? What is, it, what is it he's trying to make of me? How is he trying to change me? What is it in my life? What is he trying to do in my life right now? And, and who am I supposed to help? And we just all want white houses and picket fence and a, and a happily ever after. But that's not how it always is. And if your life is that way, I want to come and live with you. But there's no surprises, no uh-ohs, and my steps are ordered by the Lord. And why am I here? And what is God trying to do? And who am I supposed to help? So here's the thing. See the will of God as present tense, not future. that's all I want you to know. You're saying I could have saved 30 minutes if I just told you at the beginning, right? See God's will for your life. Are you hearing me? See God's will for your life as present tense, not future tense. Where you are, and now, now I believe this. I believe God hates cancer. I believe God hates divorce. I believe that. I believe God hates these terrible things. I don't think he's the author of it. I think his heart grieves with you. But if you're in this circumstance, and if you're in this situation, like I, like I don't believe, <laughs> there are some things that happened in the selection process of the queen that God probably wasn't real happy with. They weren't married. So I don't know what is happening in your life that God doesn't necessarily agree with. 
But God's will for your life is present tense. So who am I supposed to help? Why am I here? And what is God doing in my life? There's a purpose, people. There's a purpose. There's a reason why it's happening. There's a reason why it has happened. And there's a reason why it's not over yet. God's will is present tense. Let's pray. Father, I really believe that the greater good is who we are going to become and who we are going to help. Not just a reduction in our own suffering. And I pray, Father, you would just help us to look to you and that you be glorified in our life and that as we go through what we go through and as we are where we are, that you would help us to understand what you're trying to do in our lives and that there be incredible victory and that you get incredible glory and people would be helped because there is a divine reason for where I am in life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.